Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello again, Kitchen Table community, and welcome to episode 82 here on Kitchen Table Theology. I'm Pastor Jeff Cranston. And I'm Jen Denton. And here at Kitchen Table Theology, we exist to stand against the popular theology of the day, which tends to believe that everyone is inherently good, that everyone will eventually go to heaven, to love yourself above all <laughs> others, and that Jesus is a way to heaven, but not the only way to heaven. Well, here at Kitchen Table Theology, we strongly stand and promote biblical theology, which teaches us that all of us have sinned, that we all must be born again, and that we are to deny ourselves, and that Jesus is not one way. He is the only way to find peace with God. Today's podcast finds us continuing our series on angelology. In our previous podcast in this series so far, we've answered these questions— What are angels? What are the purposes of angels, and how do they fit into God's overall plan and His purposes? What are our relationships to and with the angels, and where do demons come from, and what exactly are they up to? If you missed any of those, you might want to go back and check them out. Today's topic is about demonic activity and the life of a believer. Yeah, and hello again, everybody. Pastor Jeff with you, and we're not only continuing our series, Jen. We're ending. In cap, tying last, it up. This is the last uh, podcast in this series on angelology, and we're going to talk about the level of demonic activity in the world today. Which I don't know. It looks like it's increasing to me. Mm. Um, we're going to talk about if a Christian can be demon possessed, and what power, if any, do we as Christians have over demons because of Jesus? Well, that sounds like a lot, so let's go ahead and just jump in. As far as demonic activity is concerned, we have established that, yes, demons are active in the world today, and they have been active since Genesis 3. Mm -hmm. But let's take that just a step further. Is all sin and evil directly from Satan and his demons? I love how you always start out with these easy questions. Is I told sin, you we were just dumping right in. <laughs> all sin and evil directly from Satan and his demons. Yeah. Uh, well, let's do this. I think we can say all sin can be directly and indirectly hmm. attributed to Satan. Probably more is directly attributed, but much sin comes from us indirectly through Satan because of the fall. And you just mentioned Genesis 3. So when we read through the New Testament, we have to face the reality that not much space is given in the discussion of demonic activity around or in a believer's life. Not much space is given to teach us lessons of uh, resistance against the demonic. But the emphasis in the New Testament is on telling us not to sin, but rather to live lives of righteousness. Mm. So how about some examples of that? Because I think most of the time we think that all sin, no matter what it is, we should attribute to the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Get behind (laughs) me, Satan. All of those. And push. Some people say. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And we blame him for it. Shouldn't we be punching back, so to speak? 
Well, yeah, good point. Here, here's a couple of examples. Um, in 1 Corinthians, we read about dissension within the church. Now, that's obviously not of God. Paul, as, he's, as he addresses that, he doesn't tell the church to rebuke the spirit of dissension. Hmm. He simply urges them to agree. And then he says this, be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. So this is a church, the Corinthian church, that had to deal with the issue of incest. They, This is not a church we would have mm-hmm, attended. Mm-hmm. I would have found another community mm-hmm. church or something mm-hmm. down the street. Um, so here they've got incest going on in the church, mm-hmm. and he doesn't tell them to rebuke the spirit of incest, but he does tell them that they should be outraged with a righteous anger, and they should exercise church discipline on the offender until the offender repents. And there are numerous examples like that throughout the New Testament. And speaking of, we know the New Testament teaching clearly recognizes the influence of demonic activity in the world and even in the life of believers. Are you saying that our primary focus regarding our lives as believers should not be so much on demonic activity, but on the choices and actions we ourselves take? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Our primary focus as Christians should be striving Uh, under the power, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, toward a life of holiness and faith. And when we see those two characteristics increasing in our lives, we find the power then to overcome sinful actions, sinful desires, that sort of thing, and the temptations that come against us from an unbelieving world. But, you know, I, I don't think we should be walking around looking for a demon in every bush, you know, But we ought to be going after, well, I think the biblical word is striving, striving for holiness, striving for Mm -hmm. righteousness. The more we do that, um, the greater uh, influence the Spirit has in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I I like the distinction there because it's it's almost saying, you know, don't look at the power that Satan holds, look at the holiness and righteousness of Christ as Mm -hmm. the, the overarching. Well, you said not much space in the New Testament is given regarding demonic activity in the believer's life, but could you point out a few examples of where it is spoken about? Yeah, there's no question that the authors of the New Testament were only too aware of demonic activity, uh, not only in the world, but in the lives of Christians themselves. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul warned Timothy that the Holy Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. And then he says this, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. And Paul went on to say that some of this would lead to claims for avoiding marriage, avoiding certain foods, both of which God created as good. So we, we see there, Paul believes some false doctrine mm-hmm. in the church is demonic in, in origin. In 2 Timothy, Paul implies that those who oppose sound doctrine have been captured by the devil to do his will. So listen to this. He says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. And he's talking about, um, he's talking about uh, in this context, about church leaders. Mm-hmm. You're not to quarrel must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps, Paul says, God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Mm -hmm. And there we see Paul believing that demonic influence 
in someone's life who calls him or herself a Christian, and that demonic influence can lead that person astray into false doctrine by demonic, by uh, satanic activity. Hmm. You know, as I look back over the 80-some-odd podcasts that we've done now and all that we've learned, I think we can see that Satan, from a biblical point of view, is the originator of lies, Mm -hmm. of murder, deception, false teaching, and sin in general. So it then seems reasonable and logical to conclude that the New Testament wants us to understand that there is to some degree of demonic influence in nearly all wrongdoing and sin that occurs today. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I also believe we can say that not all sin is caused directly by Satan or demons, but demonic activity is likely a factor in almost all sin and almost all destructive activity, anything that opposes the work of God in the world today. Hmm. Well, then, to me, then that begs the question, if not all sin is caused directly by Satan or demons, where does that indirect sin come from? Well, the indirect sin comes from us. Hmm. But let's not forget, although it might not be directly attributed to Satan and demons when we sin of our own choosing, it is through the indirect influence of Satan. And we have Genesis chapter 3 to to thank for that. Hmm. I didn't say we have women to thank for that. I hope you noticed that. Stop it. I'm not going to blame me for everything. Hey, he had his own free will. He could do whatever he wanted to do. Good theology. (laughs) Well, let's move, good timing, to a really important point that, again, I'm just going to throw out the question, and we'll jump in with both feet. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Oh, that's a that's a big one. Uh, let, let's talk about, okay, can a Christian be demon-possessed? So let's talk about the term demon possession for just a second. That is strongly nuanced to have us believing that demonic influences can be so strong that a person who is under demonic attack has no choice but to succumb to it. Like it's this overpowering thing. We see it in the movies. Exactly. <laughs> you saw it in Ghostbusters. Or, you know, yeah. something similar to that. Head spinning and the, yeah. whole, you, you, the whole deal. Like you have no choice in it. You have to just <laughs> fall under the, the spell of it or however you want to say it. And, and we, you know, demonic possession, that the person, you know, we have this tendency to think the person is unable to exercise their own free will. They are completely, almost robotically, under the domination of some evil spirit. Now, we do see in the Gospels rare occurrences of just that, mm-hmm. though. The, the demoniac in Mark chapter 5 certainly is one of those, but that is not a normalized instance. That that was a very rare occurrence. Now, if by demon possession we mean that a person's will is completely dominated by a demon so that a person has no power left or no power whatsoever to choose between right or wrong, uh, to choose between the ability or inability to obey God, then the answer to your question, can a Christian be demon-possessed, is certainly no. Scripture guarantees sin shall have no dominion over us since we have been raised with Christ. Mark, uh, sorry, Romans 6.14 says, For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. 
So I love that verse, first of all. But then how should we then refer to those instances when we do feel like or we are under attack and depression by the one who the Bible also refers to as the enemy of our souls? Well, we're not only under depression. <laughs> well, that's what it results in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's possession. There's oppression. Mm-hmm. There's influence. Um so do you believe that we as Christians can be oppressed or under the influence mm. of demonic? I'm just asking you. I thought that's what I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> Shall I go back and ask my question again? <laughs> I was just wondering where you... But you would agree that a, that a, that a Christian can be swayed influenced oh for sure uh, yeah. all that by demonic activity mm-hmm. yeah which is different what i'm driving at i think is that's different from possess demon mm-hmm. possession mm-hmm. so i don't mm-hmm. believe that the scripture goes anywhere near saying or leading us to believe that a christian can be demon possessed mm-hmm. so no but can we be influenced can we be tempted all that uh, well of course well let's just look at all this after pentecost and that's when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit's now given to believers, which enables us to walk in victory as it regards demonic attacks. Many Christians, though, don't, don't always call upon or even know about the power that is rightfully theirs. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a TikTok thing going around, and I've heard it around church. Holy Spirit, activate. activate. Holy Spirit, Spirit. And I got to be honest, I don't like that. But it's like the well, fun I think thing the to origin say. of it came from a contestant on Family Feud. Yeah. So I don't really think. But you it's can still really bad go. theology, because to activate makes the Holy Spirit feel like a a, a power source that you can turn on or right, off. Turn yeah. on or off. Sure. And of course, the Holy Spirit we know from our doctrine of pneumatology is not a a, a force. Or an entity, he's a person. He's a person yes. So if you're not walking around telling other people to activate, you shouldn't be telling the Holy Spirit. And who are we to tell the Holy Spirit anything anyway? But okay, that I got off on on that. But we we don't we don't understand fully a lot of times as Christians the the power that the Holy Spirit in us that that power that's available mm-hmm. to us. And I think it when it comes to. Um, a Christian, in terms of being Christians, we're better off not even to use the terms possession, oppression, obsession, mm-hmm. simply recognizing there there can be varying degrees of demonic attack or influence on Christians, and just leave it at that. In all cases, the remedy is the same anyway. Rebuke the demon in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and command it to leave. No, So mm-hmm. however you want to view demonic activity in your life, the way you deal with it is the same at the end of the day anyway. It's it's rebuking by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that in and of itself opens up another area, and this will be kind of the topic that we end on today. Has Jesus truly given all believers authority to rebuke, rebuke. De- rebuke yeah. demons and command them to leave? And if so... Is this something we should practice? Because 
I got to be honest. <laughs> we live in a Marvel world, right? So I feel a little bit nervous about this. Am I supposed to be, you know, like kind of like WandaVision? Like, <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> like we're, I don't know. And it, you can't see us because we're not recording. She's got her hands. I've got my hands up and, you know, like. Am, you Are you putting some kind of juju on me right now? No, I'm just saying like, is this the is this the posturing we should take? When she's we getting a workout, an upper body workout right now. I'm not sure what she's doing. Someone send help. <laughs> So is this something then that we should embrace, this ability to rebuke demons and command them to leave? Well, I think a lot of us get, you know, we, we shy away from that. We're a little uncomfortable talking about it. And what if like, because there's that one, I don't know where it is, but there's that one time in Scripture in the New Testament where s- disciples went out and they started rebuking demons. Mm. And the demons said, we know who Jesus is and we know... Maybe it was in Acts. I'm sorry, kitchen table theologian. I'm getting... Uh, and we know who Paul is, but we don't know who you are. Uh, uh-huh. And the demons turned on them. And so uh-huh. we read that and go, okay, no, I don't even want that to happen. I don't even want to be in a position nope. where, where that could happen to me. Well, Jesus specifically gave authority over the power of the enemy to his disciples. Mm-hmm. He, he did that. We know that. And as we read in the book of Acts... Quite often, unclean spirits and demons left many people that were, as those people were under the influence and under the preaching of the Word of God. Paul used spiritual authority over demons to say to the spirit, um, to the girl, there was, a, there was one example, this, the girl was doing divination, and she was being employed by guys because they were making money off of her. Okay, and explain what divination is. Well, she quick. was like doing witchcraft okay. and probably doing some kind of future telling and okay. something like this. But it was under the influence of de- of, of demons, hmm. and she was apparently quite good at it. They're making money off of it. Mm-hmm. Paul says, I command you. He looks at this young girl and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and... And the very next verse, it says, and it came out right away. Now, that caused a whole ruckus. Paul mm-hmm. and them got, those guys ended up getting kicked out of the city, and they, were, they had all kind of things, charges brought against them because they cost those business people a ton of money. I think a few of the things that are really important for us to acknowledge, there, there are a few things very, very important for us to acknowledge here. First of all, we've got to recognize that the work of Jesus on the cross won the complete and total victory over the enemy. We understand mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is the ultimate authority that we have any powers that we may have, you and I as Christians, over demonic powers is only because of the cross, mm-hmm. only because of Christ. It, nothing of that comes from us. It's all because of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Secondly, our membership, so to speak, as children in God's family, there's the firm spiritual position from which we engage in spiritual warfare. So when Satan attacks you, mm-hmm. he's attacking me. Hmm. When he attacks one of us, when he's attacking a member of God's own family, he's attacking God's family. He's attacking the church. So our standing as son and daughters of the king gives us the authority to defeat Satan and successfully wage war against him. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, when we find it appropriate to speak a word of rebuke to a demon, it's important to remember that we're not to fear them. Hmm. And you've already kind of given voice to that. It's just, and I think we're all like that to some extent. I, 
well, okay, I, I get it, but boy, I'd really rather not even go there. Mm-hmm. If I can just avoid that, <laughs> I would rather avoid it because if this if something turns on me or I'm not prayed up or whatever, I don't want this coming back on me, you know, because Jesus cast out or somebody cast out some demons. I really should have looked some of this up, but it's just coming to my memory now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where a demon was cast out and seven more came back. Mm-hmm. So we're all like, you know, okay, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Uh so let me just leave well enough alone. Well, if there's demonic activity going on, we can't define that as well enough. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'll put up with that. We, we, we can't. And God doesn't want us to. So we're not to fear demons. We're not to fear Satan. Um, fear doesn't come from God. Mm-hmm. It comes from Satan. Mm-hmm. Satan would love nothing more than for us to fear him. 1 John 4, 4 reminds us, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So let's give some practicality to that. Let's say that we are facing a situation in our life and we recognize in the spirit that this is demonic activity. How do we engage with that type of warfare? Carefully, uh, (laughs) prayerfully. You, You know, we never want to go into that sort of thing without being completely prayed up. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you, you fast, um, you pray, you you get yourself in, uh, you, you're like in A1 shape spiritually. Um, and we've got to be strong in, in the Spirit of God because nothing of our own strength or wisdom is a match for what we're about to wade into. So if we go in, if Jen wades into uh, addressing demonic activity or Jeff does it, and we're doing it in our own power, mm. we're, we're going to get filleted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got to check our hearts. Um, Jesus tells us, keep the joy of your salvation uh, you know, in mind, lest we become proud. Mm-hmm. And so we go into it realizing our salvation, what we have in Christ. Um, you know, Jesus at one point sent 70 disciples out, and he gave them power and told them what to do. And when they came back, they returned to him very joyfully, and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Like, this is awesome. We had a great time out there. And Jesus immediately said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in Mm -hmm. heaven. And so Mm -hmm. even when you see victory over demonic activity, you know, it goes with these yahoos, that have been on Christian TV forever, casting mm-hmm. demons out and addressing yeah, all that. Yeah, the hand on the forehead and yeah. the shaking. And, and people yeah. show up there because, uh-huh. well, if you go to him mm-hmm. or you go to her, they'll they'll get you clean from demons. Sure. Well, yeah. no. If any of that is happening, which I think most of that, or if not all of it, is garbage mm-hmm. that you see, mm-hmm. I think they're they're fakes. Um, no, it's only because of Christ. And he says, don't don't rejoice. These people not only rejoice over it. They have television ministries based on it, right? Mm-hmm. But he says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice your names are written in heaven. So, Jen, perhaps this is one of those times when instead of teaching about it here on a podcast, we, we practice it. So let's suppose, kitchen table theologian, let's suppose in your life, and we'll end with this, you have fallen into sin. There's been some temptation. It has, you know, overwhelmed you or you... But more than that, you have just succumbed. You've given into it, and you've fallen into sin because of it. It it was a trap of Satan, and you fell for it. So how do we engage 
and spiritual warfare while turning to God at the same mm. time. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to pray a prayer. And this prayer has been taught to be by, by, by my friend Dave Park. Dave is founder and president of Infusion Ministries, and we'll link, we'll link them in the episode notes. And Dave was a, a guest on one of our podcasts, mm-hmm. episode number 60, um, I think it is. So here is exactly how we should pray in those types of situations. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. So Kitchen Table Theologian, as you're listening, if you're driving, obviously don't close your eyes if you're running. <laughs> But if you want to close your eyes and, and pray, but wherever you're, whatever you're doing right now, and you can pray with me, just pray with me. But here's, here's how we can pray in those kind of situations. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that when I am tempted, it often looks like the truth, but it is really a lie wrapped in a tiny truth. I want to know you, the truth, and your words so well that when I even see a hint of a lie, I can expose it and turn from it. I know that if I say no to temptation and choose to believe the truth, I will always walk free. And I confess right now that I have not always said no to temptation, and I have believed lies. I've been deceived by Satan, who's the father of lies. And I've deceived myself. I even thought I could hide it from you, but you see everything, and I'm grateful you still love me. And so I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, asking you to rebuke all of Satan's demons through your righteous son, Jesus, who shed his blood on the cross and rose from the dead for me. I have asked Jesus into my life. I am your child on your authority. Therefore, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command all evil spirits to leave me. I ask you, Father, to look deep inside of me and know my heart. Show me because I want to resist any temptation that comes my way, and I want to walk in freedom and in victory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this It's a good way to go out. It is. And that, Kitchen Table Theologians, is the end of Angelology. We'll start a new series on our next podcast, and it's going to be on the two ordinances of the church. The two what? Ordinances. Yeah. So the first question is, what the heck is an ordinance? And that's what we're going to cover real quick right out of the gate. Ordinance, right from the beginning. Ordinance, yeah. Some people call them sacraments. Tomato, tomato. Ordinance sacrament. <laughs> or is it tomato? We shall soon find out. <laughs> we're going to do that on the very next podcast. Well, we're going to be focusing on baptism and the Lord's Supper, two wonderful practices. Yeah. There's a, another word in there that Jesus left his church, yet there is so much confusion and disagreement among Christians regarding both. So we hope that you'll join us. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave us a review. That way more kitchen table theologians like you can discover us. It only takes about 60 seconds and it does make a difference. And we love reading your reviews. Also, please recommend this podcast to your friends and family and do share it on social media. You can check out today's episode notes for further information and resources. And don't forget to head over to jeffcranston.com where you may freely access our podcast archives and other resources to help your faith journey like Pastor Jeff's sermons, his books, and his blog. 
And as we leave you today, we want to encourage you to always remember that the real power of theology is not just knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.